Let's do it. Okay, we're doing it. We're live. We're in? Yep. We started? Mm Mm-hmm. This is, we're rolling? Yes. All right. Welcome to the Hipsit Podcast with me, Rabbi Simcha, and our co-host, Rebetzin Sherry Barkley. What's up? It's been a while. It's been a month, Sherry. I know. And I have in my hand the Sherry Barkley High Holiday Report Card. Okay, let's go through the last month. I've spent the last month meals and spiels. Okay. Sherry, um, Rosh Hashanah, no show. Uh-huh. Yom Kippur, no show. Um, I think Sukkot, I was DJing. <laughs> Sukkot, no show. In spirit, I was there. Uh, Simchat Torah, no show. No, no, there was, no, I think that was the one where I showed up. You did? And, yeah, because Sam Corey Rose, yes. who, by the way, you should thank me because I indoctrinated him into the thing. He's going now, he's participating. services. Because of me. There you go. And. The new mezuzah. And, well, I mean, it was a joint effort, but okay. I really, I really like, you know, pushed it over the, I got us, I got, you got us to second base. I got us home. Home run. Anyway. Shidduch, by the way. But nice I, guy. yes. Okay. So that counts for a lot. All right. However, however, I did show up. He told me it was awesome. It was raging the last right. one. I showed up at, at 1045 PM and you guys were done already. Simchat Torah is like, it's like, uh, it's like a firecracker. You know, you set fire, <laughs> it explodes. Okay. And then the remains are found somewhere in a garden well, four miles away. I but thought Sherry, the firecracker would explode at midnight or it, 1 a.m. It exploded uh, within an hour. Um, all right. Sherry, all you had to do is say, I was at Chabad of Bushwick. So Sherry, where were you? I was at... Habad of Bushwick. There you go. Which may or may not look a little bit like Capis. Okay, there you go. Sherry. Um, <laughs> this is my own Chabad. How this is we are sitting in, in your this is your uh, your mitzvah tank. Yep. Um Sherry, uh how's it going at Trader Joe? <sighs> I mean I can for the record, it's Trader Joe's. May and I ask you? I uh, find it's a Jewish struggle, the whole Joe and Joe's thing. Yeah, right? well, I, that, I know, that, that's the guest, by the way. I can We're have introduce you. We're getting there. Yes, yes. Sherry, I have to ask you one question before yes. we introduce the guest. Yes. By the way, we have a true uh, superhero today. I'm very I'm uh, excited, excited too, I'm, and I'm in awe of but, today's guest. But we know that you know part of the the sim- part of this podcast is always you know we do a recap and right. then. Yeah, yeah, this let's is how just it works. Take it, it away, goes. guys. Bit, yeah. We're starting with the banter. Sherry, I have to ask you one For question. For the new listeners. Before the guest, <laughs> yeah. um, we have to talk about the new kid on the block, Kay. Uh, Wegmans. About five minutes from yes. my house, yes. Wegmans has opened up. What's the feeling in Trader Joe uh, Chelsea regarding uh, Wegmans? Well, honestly, um, Ch- Chelsea is so far away from Wegmans. Wegmans that it right. doesn't even matter. Um, to me... I know that this sounds very like urban explorer, you know, hipster of me, but I, when I worked in Dumbo, by the way, I just want to say that I am qualified for big girl jobs. I just choose not to take them because right. they take up too much of my mental energy, and this is what I want to focus on. That's okay? the M train, by the way, for the guests. Yes, yes, I'm not, I'm not some, I'm overqualified to work at Trader you're Joe's. A, you're a millennial, even yeah. though I don't think. You anyway. Are. Um, Anyway, when I worked as a video editor in Dumbo, I used to ride my bike past um, what, what felt like a street secret garden to me, which I just recently found out it was called Admiral's Row. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. And it was gorgeous, amazing. all these beautiful houses. Yes. And I understand that, you know, obviously, hey, it's New York City. Gentrification. We can't afford to just have this beautiful urban decay. But I, I thought it was such a mystery and so gorgeous. Nice. And now, now they... 
literally paved paradise. To build a parking lot. Exactly. Uh, see, I get the references. Yes. Uh, by the way, I have not been to Wegmans, even though I live five minutes away. I go to Chestnut. Uh-huh. I like to buy my produce from Hasidic stores, where it's yeah. overpriced and completely <laughs> rotted. Although it has been washed three times. The final... Um, the okay, fi- we're ready for the gas, Sherry. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, if you're from Rochester... The police coming for you, Sherry. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. The th- that's, the, that's the Rochester police, oh. who um, anyone from a certain part of the Northeast is obsessed with Wegmans and you can't say anything bad about it. But, People hey. are talking about it like it's the second I know. Company. I'm not so impressed. I know. But you guys, okay. you know what? They don't have a sub shop and apparently that's the marker of a true Wegmans. Whatever. Wegmans, Wegmans, whatever. Moving on. Moving on from Start Wegmans. The show. Okay, it's not the Wegmans podcast. <laughs> it's the Hipsid podcast. That's right. By the way, uh, if the manager of Wegmans would like to come on, um, don't bother. Okay. Or, so but if they want to sponsor guest, us, Sherry, bother. Let's do it. Yep. Okay, so uh, we have uh, a, a real superhero. Yes. Uh, I'm I, close I, the I am door. Uh, really, uh, I'm very honored, and I can't believe uh, you, you're, you're in New York for two days, apparently. A two day. Days? A day. A day. Yeah. Okay. So our guest is in New York for one day, and we managed to schlep him into the RV. So we want to welcome to the Hipsit Podcast, Rabbi Evremi Sippel. Welcome. Thank you. To Thank the Hipsit Podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, all the way, Sherry, believe it or not, from Salt Lake City, Utah. What? Just to get through uh, the brief, the brief I didn't bio. No, they had Jews there. And a Trader Joe's. There you go. Three, three of Wegmans. them. Three of them. Wegman? I've never heard of Wegman. There you go. Okay. Oh. So Rabbi Zippel is the uh, the oldest of six children, and uh, your your parents were the original Chabad Shluchim to the state of Utah. The only observant Jewish boy for you and your siblings for several several hundred miles. So uh, the question I want to begin with: What's that like growing up in Utah? Uh, it was it was different. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for having me in your thank you palatial uh, home. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's great to be there. I, uh, I I I think that you need to incorporate some video into this podcast. I think you're. Your listeners really want to gain an appreciation for oh. uh, for what it looks like. But um, also, just a quick thought. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're from Salt Lake City, the report card that Rabbi Simcha started with, I'm, that's that's something I might bring back to my people and you know sit down with them and go through a uh, an attendance report card for the high holidays. There so you if you're from my crowd, be warned. Here I come. Uh, growing up in Utah uh, was was definitely different. Right. Uh, not something which most uh, Chabad young boys get to do. Um, Utah is obviously a very religious community, not a Jewish religious community. Uh, and so um, it's, it's somewhat isolated. Um, you know, you don't go to school. You're homeschooled. Uh, you know, as far as I was aware as a kid, I was the only, you know, me and my siblings were the only children in the entire world that wore a kippah and tzitzit out in public. Uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of friends that were like us, but, um, you know, you make a life of it. You know, being in a Chabad family pretty much becomes your entire life. It's every fiber of your existence. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Wow, beautiful. So uh, my recollection of, of, your, of your parents, I remember reading an article. As I was uh, getting sort of more involved Jewishly, about, I believe it was the Winter Olympics. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Two thousand two in, in Utah, and and your father was very involved, um, and and I remember being very inspired by that. And you should know that uh, you know as a Balchuva, things are exciting, but uh, very often the children of Balchuvas they don't maybe share the same excitement. So I have now a 
16-year-old son, and I'm always trying to, uh, you know, get him uh, excited about, about uh, you know, Jewish practice, Jewish values. And you know that in his yeshiva, there was one rabbi that came. And being the son of a rabbi, you know, he has a lot of rabbis. And you should know that your father had a massive, massive impact. So to let the audience know, he really I'm, is I'm a legendary that. Chabad shliach. He really uh, is. I mean, you made the comment before, you know, they were the original Chabad Shalom. They still are, and they're, you know, right. they're, they're going strong. Uh, and Utah's a very unique, you know, Chabad opportunity. And my parents are, you know, remarkable people who have done a remarkable job in a very unique set of circumstances. You know, obviously the Olympics is part of that. So and they turn up with a dollar and a dream, right? That's how They really do. Uh, my, my parents were both foreigners in a certain sense. My dad is Italian. My mom is Canadian, which is somewhat foreign. I mean, right. it's not, you know, it's... Just a little bit further north. Sherry's but, you know. also a little uh, stickle Canadian. Sherry's a little Canadian. Hey, Sherry, so am I. I was born in I was born in Toronto, so there's that oh. going on. Uh, That's a whole other story. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but you know, my father, uh, you know, came uh, without a green card, uh, with an accent, with a dollar and a dream, and you know, in twenty. So he just opened the phone book and started looking for the gold books. Uh, pretty much the equivalent of that. Yeah, well. I mean, there was there was some Jewish infrastructure in place beforehand, and. You know, I think when, when when he came, the attitude people had was, you know, this this is this is cute. You know, you're gonna do like six months or you know, twelve months, right, maybe right. two years. You want to do here, right. and uh, and that's it. You know, you persevere. And How you, many years ago was that? Twenty seven and a half. Wow. Uh, Twenty eight in a few in, in February. Wow. Um, and yeah, that's that's you know the story of a Chabad house. Wow, beautiful. Do you get tickets for the Book of Mormon, or probably not? That's probably I've um, never seen it by the way. So you have to understand a, a, a slightly <laughs> curious dynamic over here, right? right? So we're very close with the Mormon faith. Right. And the Book of Mormon show is not uh, oh, exceptionally oh. Okay. loved it's and cherished okay, by fine. by adherents oh. uh, to the faith, and so uh, you know that's kind of a clash. Right. Of two so what, worlds. what's that been like? The relationship with uh, uh, Hasidic Jewry and and the Mormon community. There's a lot. And s- have you met Mitt Romney? Uh, so actually, you want to know something funny? I was in the airport yesterday morning, and there's this gentleman walking towards us, and I turned to this person, a total stranger. And we looked at each other at the same time we're walking beside it was, and we both said, is that Mitt Romney? It was Mitt Romney. Senator wow. Romney was just strolling through Salt Lake City International Airport, and I saw him 24 hours ago. Wow. Um, the relationship with the predominant faith No collusion, Utah, by the way. They no collusion. He was, was, he, was not, he was boarding a flight to Minneapolis. He okay. was not colluding with anybody. There's no quid no, pro quo. We are all good, myself okay. and Senator Romney and Delta Airlines. We're all figuring all right. this out. All right. um, covered. Uh, yeah. Um, the relationship with the predominant faith is, uh, is, is, is amazing. Right. Uh, you know, it goes about as well as it could, which is which is which is excellent. You know, they're a very devout group of people who have a tremendous respect for members of other faiths. Uh, they get the whole dynamic of kind of you know uh, being looked at a little strange, uh, and so you know I think there's there's a lot of relation there. And um, you know, we we have I, I had Mormon neighbors growing up as a kid. I have Mormon neighbors today. Uh, you know, they could not be more supportive of our public displays of Judaism and, and you know, living our lives as proud Jews. And it's it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, beautiful. Okay, so I have the bio over here. Oh boy, it says you participated in Chabad outreach uh, after you went to yeshiva in Wales. Denmark, Italy, France, and Germany. Wow. I did. What, what was that like? So uh, I think growing up, you know, on the job, it, it gives you some kind of, um, you know, built-in skill, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, having a certain 
ability to not you know not be phased easily and you know and, right. and, and take your act out on the streets and uh, and all that. Uh, I was in I was in Yeshiva in England for three years, and so you know that kind of put me in close proximity to 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 most of those in European London? countries in London. Yeah, got to add that to the bio, by the way. Did it, did it not say no that? London Yeshiva in the United Kingdom? Oh, you're right. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, that was kind of my hopping off All point right. for the rest of Europe. Typo. Uh, and it was amazing. It was it was fascinating to see other Jewish communities and you know the way they do things and you know uh, it was it was an amazing experience and one that really gave me an appreciation for the life that I would want to live as a Chabad rabbi myself one day. And today you're married. I am. Two kids. Two boys. And you have since moved back to, to Utah, where you were telling me off mic, you work primarily with young families and young Jewish professionals. Correct. So what's the scene like in Utah? So the scene is is getting younger. Um, Utah is you know a tech capital of the world right now, which I wow. think is, Utah, is something. Utah is getting cool. Utah's getting kind of cool. Yeah, Utah's getting. I, I, I mean, thought Bushwick not, was cool. Not to say that Utah, Utah wasn't always cool, but Utah's All getting right. kind of cool. Um, you know, Utah kind of has has taken in a whole lot of transplants from Silicon Valley, where things were getting a little bit too expensive. Wow. And so who knew? A, yeah, there's a huge uh, tech scene blowing up, wow. uh, which does bring a lot of young Jews with and so uh, all the big tech companies they're, they're in so Utah? So actually a, a lot of the new tech companies a lot of the really? small tech companies on their way to becoming big tech companies really? do some time in, in Salt Lake City Lehigh Provo that area wow. uh, and so yeah there's a great young scene going on and uh, you know my wife and I try to provide for the community whatever it is they need Jewishly um, you know we, we, we so what did that look like what kind of events so there's we'll get some ideas over here oh absolutely so there's well you guys have you guys are pretty good. Sherry's going to tell me here. I'm not at services because I'm at Chabad uh, of Utah. Chabad in Salt Lake City. That, that'll be the excuse next year. Uh, so we, yeah. um, you know, we, <laughs> monthly Shabbat dinners and classes, holiday events, you know, um, we really try to make an emphasis to take our show on the road. Utah is still pretty vast in terms of it being spread out. So, you know, as opposed to, you know, having it's probably about as many Jews in a 30 mile radius as there is in one block here in Brooklyn. So, you know, there's we try to do a lot of satellite events and, you know, and bring Judaism to people instead of expecting them to come to us. Um, and, you know, we found that, especially with the young professional demographic, it's about meeting people on their level. It's about, you know, providing them with what they feel would enhance their lives Jewishly as opposed to having kind of a prepackaged set of product and say, you know, you could pick one, All two, right. or three. So what's been the most successful event? Our Purim party is pretty And the second one's going to be one. the biggest bomb, by the way. So uh, we'll start with... We'll start with success. What was the theme for Purim? Always so, looking for ideas. So this past year was circus themed. It was, you know, a magical night. Okay. Uh, very that nice. was that was kinda cool. That one worked well. The year before that was Roaring Twenties. Uh, I, I needed an education. I'm I'm you know, a little culturally a little bit when it comes to the twenties and, and that. Um, this year we're actually already making plans. It's gonna be the Royal Ball. So nice. we're gonna, yeah, a little tip. You wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're already making the Purim plans? So uh, we have a committee wow. of people that, you know, that Really got involved after last part. I don't know what so. I'm doing this afternoon. From uh, wow, well, this is what a I rabbi over here. You and Sherry should take a drive in this thing. Wow. Go like you know, go discover. But uh, wow. yeah, people That's people are amazing. excited and yeah, it's, so you're you know, organized. We try. Good we try for you. Deeply. Wow. Uh, so last year we did a shtisel poem party. That's, which that's I trendy. didn't have to work too hard because uh, next living next to Hasidic Williamsburg, uh, that it wasn't, built in. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't much of a stretch. Okay, so what's been uh, the biggest disaster events? Biggest. We disaster like to go there on the Hipsit podcast. A good question. What was the biggest disaster? There's been some classes <laughs> that just kind of were canceled uh, by default. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. You know, parties people show up to. Um, Right, you know, the more food, yeah, the bigger the crowd. That's that's, that's, that's usually, usually the rule of thumb over here. Trends yeah. in that direction, yeah. 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 
Uh, you know, we found that a lot of events that were shaping up to be a flop just due to, you know, the attendance numbers not being where we wanted them to. Right. Um, usually are, are, are some of the nicest stuff that we ever put right. on because having right. a more intimate crowd really gives right. you an ability you never to know. connect with people. Yeah. You never know. Um, right. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's funny you say that like that. So I think that's kind of become my understanding of, you know, expectations as a Chabad rabbi is, is roll with it. You know, right. you're going to find, you know, some of the most successful things you're, you'll be doing coming from the most unexpected places. Right. And so, you know, just sit back and do your best and, and things will come to you. Right. You know, off topic, you got me thinking now. We had this this Hanukkah party last year. Sherry was in attendance. Wow. It was a Mrs. Maisel Hanukkah party. I think every single uh, hipster in Brooklyn, I don't know what happened, but literally, took us to took us, the entire block was was filled. Um, the next night, I did uh, I, I do an annual, uh, an annual, I do a nightly menorah lighting in on the campus in Pratt Institute. Okay. We had one student turn up. And um, as, as we're leaving the room, having lit the menorah, uh, this student, Mia, said to me, you know what? I've never felt so Jewish in my life. So it's sometimes it's it's you know it's those smaller intimate really events when you light that candle, you make that connection, uh, and I will remember that lighting uh, more than the Mrs. Maisel's Hanukkah party. I really will, and it, it left uh, it, it left a real sort of imprint. Yeah, I've uh, I've got similar stories, you know. It, and I think that's kind of the attitude that you you adapt to is you know do your thing, right? Just do your thing and 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 let the magic happen. Just don't right. get in the way of it. And so, right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so the next topic uh, that I, I really wanted to discuss, mm-hmm. um, that uh, I, and this really is a topic that uh, I think should uh, and, and could have uh, an entire podcast uh, dedicated to, but it's something that, that I do want to touch on uh, because you have in the past year reached really international sort of, uh, you, you're on the international arena, um, that the Me Too movement takes many forms and, and many facets. And I think that uh, you very bravely came forward with with your own Me Too experience. And I think it shows that, uh, you know, sexual abuse does not discriminate and can affect all people in, in all walks of life. And I want to ask you to sort of briefly, um, just for, for the listeners, explain um, what uh, you had experienced and and why you decided to uh, at this time come forward. Sure. So um, this had been a part of my life for most of the life that I know. Um, I had uh, been sexually abused by a nanny in our house um, starting at age eight for just about a decade um, all total. Um, you know, as I, as I referenced before, we, we didn't go to school. We were homeschooled. We were at home uh, all day. So, uh, you know, that's kind of, that, that was provided some of the dynamics for the situation. And um, you know, for the majority of my life, I was quite certain that this would be my secret that would go to the grave with me. You know, right. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that I was ever going to talk about, uh, for, for any number of reasons, you know, and there, and there are so many different factors at play, but, you know, most importantly is, you know, the shame and the stigma and the taboo, um, not just across the, the, the Hasidic community, even the Jewish community, you know, uh, for most of my life being a male survivor of sexual abuse, uh, wasn't, uh, for lack of better term, it wasn't a thing. You know, right. I, I I couldn't you know sit back in my chair and say, you know, who are some male survivors that I can right. relate to? Zero, literally. Right. Uh, and you know, um, later on in life, uh, I I started seeing a therapist and started getting you know the help that I really needed for it. And um, uh, I, I really found that 
finding acceptance from other people in the realm of being a survivor of sexual abuse really comes with acceptance of self. And so, you know, the way you see and understand your situation is how you project it on others. And so if you think that, you know, well, everyone's going to think this about me, usually it, it, it comes because of a certain way that you view yourself right. in all of this. Um, and then in the summer of 2017, you know, obviously the Me Too movement right. began, was created, however, however you want to refer to it. And it was interesting. It was interesting to you know, sit back and watch right. and, and, and to kind of see uh, perception. Right. change. Uh, I think that one of the, you know, really important factors about, you know, the Me Too movement and all all that was brought with it is that, you know, I found that people sometimes will mistakenly understand that, you know, sexual abuse ha- or, or, or sexual assault, you know, and all the different facets in that had really ramped up at that time. And therefore, there was an outcry about it. And I think that I think that's a little mistaken historically and i think that you know uh if you look at the different episodes it shows that you know this sexual abuse had been prevalent and an issue in, in, in every society for years it wasn't that sexual abuse was becoming you know more of a, of a common issue it was talking about it became right. more of a common issue and people weren't referencing events that had taken place you know last week and last month it was decades ago and it was right. you know they were they were reflecting on a lifetime of, of what they had gone through and i think society as a whole kind of you know came to this awareness that you know uh we can view people who have gone through this differently. And the people who had gone through it felt that society could view them differently. Uh, and that was, uh, that was powerful, for lack of a better term. It was, it was eye-opening. Um, and that was you know, a very large factor in my decision to um, you know, go to the police and, and, and bring charges against my abuser, which I ended up doing. Uh, and you know, once, once that became what was going on it was an inevitability that i would you know my my story would would come out in the public sphere and so i decided to own it and 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 do just that and publicize it and um yeah as i mentioned to you off mike it was nine months ago today and it's been uh, a a a wild journey uh and it's been you know more fulfilling and more empowering than i ever could have imagined you know uh it, it really validated for me the breadth of you know this issue and and how many different communities it touches and different social groups and you know not one of them goes untouched and the need that's out there for you know for people to to link arms and to support one another and and stand one another and 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 just you know be there for another human being in their time of struggle is is i think you know the greatest gift that a person can can attain wow you are so brave thank you and so strong and so inspiring. And when I saw the story, I, I, I just I felt a connection. I felt like this is this is a brother. This is someone that I really I I I, I'm, I had such admiration. And I think that you have empowered other survivors to talk about it. And you told me off mic that uh, it's become almost like a, a shlikas in the last nine months that you've had many people reach out to you. And that you you you're a role model to many people, and I think that you, it's astounding. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you, I, and I appreciate that. You know, to me, it's 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 it, the thing that has to be done. You know, I right. uh, there are so many people in my life that I can directly point to, either the direct or the indirect impact that they have had in you know in getting me to where I am today. Uh, you know, other survivors whose you know stories mildly at best resemble mine and you know right. in terms of the characteristics involved you know there's so few common points uh, but these are people that you know that were there 
you know, nice. for others. I think I knew whether they knew it or not. You know, I, I referenced in the story, um, I had watched Ali Reisman, you know, testifying, right. you know, uh, in, in her case. And, and I, I don't know that when she was standing, you know, at a podium at a, in a courtroom in Michigan, if she thought that a Chabad rabbi in Salt Lake City was sitting at his desk, you know, watching this and what it would do to him. Right. But it did. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, I think when I decided to go public, I had no clue as to how you know, far the story would spread. And, and to me, I was kind of thinking like, you know, okay, so who, who will care about this? Like, you know, there's the immediate, you know, circle. I think, I think the whole world. And right. And, 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 and the reality is that, you know, it, these stories have a way of getting around and providing right. hope to people that need it and providing right. strength to people that need it. And, and to me, you know, if someone did that for you, the most basic thing you could do as a human being is, is be that light for somebody else and right. pay that forward and, and, and keep it going. And, you know, you hope to be for others what, what others were for you and you hope that the next, you know, the next chain keeps it going. And then that's the only way humanity heals from something like this. Right. Um, and just like Ali Reisman um, was empowering for you to speak up, I have no doubt that, that you are going to be that Ali Reisman for many people across the world. I hope so. And, and, and really, I, I'm in awe of, of your strength and your bravery. And you know, in my own life and my own struggles and my own uh, tribulations, you, you really gave me uh, a lot of solace, a lot of strength, uh, and a lot of support. And I think that you put a very different face onto, onto me too. And it doesn't discriminate. And it's difficult to be on all the time. When, you, when you're the, the, the rabbi of the community, and you're the sibling of the rabbi of the community, there is, there is this pressure to always be on, to not show weakness, that uh, we're very much a role model. And, and, and that, that keeps me strong, by the way. I mean, I enjoy being a role model. And I take it as an honor and, and, and a privilege. And, 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 and it's, it's something that, that I take very seriously. But it's also difficult to talk about vulnerability. So I was I was just thinking of that word as you mentioned it to me my experience uh you know in in being public about my story was a lesson in human vulnerability uh you know the reporter that 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 did the story we had worked you know pretty closely on the story and you know, we probably had about 10 hours worth of interview footage, you know, wow. that, that I had given her. And I really had no clue back then where she wanted to go with this. Like, you know, this was the first time the story was ever being, you know, chronicled in right. any way, shape or form. And so I gave her a lot of material. And so the night to put that much trust. Yeah, well, you know, she we, we, had, right. we had worked together. She was a member of the community. You know, she was right. she was a friend. But I wasn't sure what, what she was going to do. I had never spoken about this before in right. any way, you know. And so uh, the night before this hearing that I'm going to testify at, she calls me to just kind of, you know, go over some quotes. And, and she's reading me the article as it's constituted then. And I remember, you know, saying to her, like, are you going to put that in? Like, you know, I gave you 10 hours worth of footage, uh, worth, right. of, worth of text, and you chose, like, the most embarrassing, but, like, you know, the most intensely personal quotes like you know i gave you a lot more part of material that you could have right. used like why that and, and and she was like you know do me a favor just just run with it like you know right. just let me let me do my thing i'm the journalist you're, right. you're the subject let's just keep it at that and in the days that followed when i when i got feedback on the article so many survivors reached out and said you know it, it was specifically those sentences you know where right. where i really kind of you know bared my soul right. that that people connected with and it right. gave me such such deep insight into right. you know how much people appreciate vulnerability and you know right. I, I totally agree with you as a Chabad rabbi and, and I, my wife right. same for my wife as a Rebetzin you know uh, we have this perception that it's game faces on and you know right. and it's you know go to war you know go to go do your thing and you know and, and, and we're just these 
smiling, shining personas of right. happiness and perfection, you know. Right. Uh, and, you know, for me, the opportunity to, to be real and, you know, and, and, and what's kind of had a chance to grow as a result of that, you know, these are my struggles. I, I, I have challenges right. like every other human being right. and I have good days and I have bad days and I have ups and I have downs. Right. Uh, and, and the way people react to that was 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 amazing, right? Right, because everyone does have struggles, and I think that makes you so much more relatable and, and understandable and, and inspirational. And the fact that you're still a rabbi, and you still even through such terrible, terrible experiences, you haven't taken off the keeper. You still put you're proudly, proudly, proudly Jewish, proudly Lubavitch. Um, and, and and not in spite of, because of. And I think that's that's something that people could really relate to. And I think that, you know, I, I know in my own shul, you know, people know when they're being schmooze. You know what I mean? People sometimes can see through the graphic designs of a flyer and, and they're looking for something real and raw. And it's that, it's that, it's journeying uh, and, and really, you know, showing a little bit of, uh, of vulnerability, but still being who we are and not, compromising but but uh be being very very real so i think i think your 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 story is is uh something that people can relate to and it really shows you know the human the human spirit the human strength uh, and uh, what kind of response have you received response was was the night before this story broke like your life is about to indelibly change forever so so at that point it's just you your family a close circle of people around you. So, what was that like? The, the timing was set up. I had testified in court for the first time that morning, right? And so, you know, the article was going to coincide uh, with that. And so, the night before, you know, I, I'm I'm being put on the stand for the first time to speak about my experiences, as, you know, my, my abuse, right. and and you know, when you speak about it to the to the, you know, I, when I speak to this reporter, and you know, when you when you when you first tell close friends and family, you right. know, there's it, it's all up to you. There's a comfort to how you're going to talk about right. it. And the next morning, you're being put on the stand, and you know, it's a little bit different talking about it, you know, as a witness right. than you know than talking about it to the press. And so all of this is going on, and you know, the story's coming out and testifying and. Uh, you know, the next day, I remember it being a, a little bit of a blur. You know, I went to court in the morning, and, and, and that went really well. Right. And then it was kind of just sitting on pins and needles waiting for, you know, it to drop. And, you know, I remember where I was getting a text from the, you know, from the journalist. You know, it's up. It's out. Right. Uh, and, you know, I put it on my Facebook. Um, and, you know, it, it just, you know, for people who I tell people, you know, I put it on Facebook. They're like, oh, I don't check Facebook. This reminds me, everyone checks Facebook. Right. Everyone knows when something's on Facebook. Right. I, and then it just oh, started. The algorithm and, and something this brave, for I'm sure, sure gets I, it just, traction. It started and, you know, the phone didn't stop for about three days. Um, and, you know, I remember saying to my wife that it, it broke at about 5 p.m. About 9 p.m. I said to my wife, you know. Here I thought I was the only, you know, the only Lubavitcher that I know that had gone through this. And, and look, you know, right. here's one and here's one and here's one. Right. By, by 9 a.m. the next morning, it had uh, gone from, you know, surprise to real sadness. Like, you know, right. not only am I not the only one and not the 10th one, but there's, you know, there's hundreds. And, 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 and kind of the... You're this, giving a voice to, to the voiceless. Yeah. And, and I think the reality of, of how widespread it was, was was kind of sad. You know, right. I know that... Being a survivor of sexual abuse is an intensely lonely experience. And I think to know that so many people were that lonely right. for so long, it, it hurts. You hurt for them, you know. Right. Um, and and there, was, there was amazing, amazing feedback. You know, people, uh, people were, 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 you know, 
really inspired that you know that there was a conversation about it and 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 in a broader sense you know there was a conversation about mental health there was a conversation right. about you know a lot of stigmas in our community and and not just in our community you know i think across the jewish world i think across the world in general um you know you know i at an event one of our ygp events once i i said you know out loud it's part i think it was a class it was a class i said you know in conversation with my therapist Right. It was the first time that I had used that sentence in public. Right. And it was funny, you know, none of the participants in my class are Chabad. You know, none of them, right. none of them are Orthodox. Or, right. a, 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 and there were still some people that, like, you know, squirmed at the reference right. of a therapist. And, you know, and so I think, you know, to those that say that, you know, oh, you know, the, the, the Chabad community, which is so many years behind society in, in dealing with stuff, finally got, you know, their act together. I think it, I think it brought light to systemic issues and to, you know, issues that... Uh, run across party lines and religious lines and observance lines and uh, that's all we do is we talk about it and we bring awareness to these issues and that's how they go away right I mean one of the things that really drew me to Chabad and I you know when I got uh, more observant I, I was involved with all different groups I was a bit of a Jewish junkie was was going to Fabrengens and suddenly the same rabbis in my not that I'd been breaking my head uh, learning Gomorrah, suddenly it's three in the morning and they're bearing their souls. And that, that forum for just honest, vulnerable conversation, that, that really was, was, was a game changer for me. So, and, and I think now, you told, before, you told me before that you felt it was, it was sad to know there were so many people in, in silence. Well, I don't think, they, they, I think you now are giving a voice. And you're saving lives. And I believe I read a quote that uh, Elizabeth Smart said that you are a superhero. And, uh, you know, I write about superheroes, but I seldomly get to meet a superhero. <laughs> so you really are a superhero. And, and it's amazing. What was that like meeting Elizabeth Smart? Elizabeth Smart, well, that meeting was surreal. I mean, right. you know, I, I had grown up in that story. Uh, you know, I think right. every child, talk, every right, child, right. you know, your greatest fear is being snatched from your bed in the middle of the night. Right. And your mommy and Tati tell you, you know, no one gets snatched from their bed in the middle of the night. Stop being ridiculous and go back to sleep. Right. You know, don't talk to the guy in the creepy van, but no one's going to take you out of your bed. Right. And I was 11 years old and, right. and a girl who lived 10 minutes from me was snatched from her bed in the middle of the night. Wow. And, you know, and and everyone was freaked out i mean I'm you know sure. and my mother called the alarm company the next day about you know putting alarms on our windows and all that right. and, and then she came back and, right. and it was like and the story just got even more you know stupendous and um you know the person who had written her book with her who's actually our congressman uh, i met him at an event and i said to him you know I, I i shared with him this was before it was it was it was public and i shared with him that you know as a survivor of sexual abuse the book was so profound for me and i remember he said to me and this was such an, an important conversation and, I, and I'm telling him this, you know, in private. And he says to me, he says, I'd love to put you in touch with Elizabeth Smart. And I remember saying to him, like, like totally off the cuff and bewildered, I said, why would Elizabeth Smart want to talk to me? Like, what, what did she lose? And so he said to me, uh, you know, would you find it beneficial to talk to her? I said, sure. So he says, well, I'm sure that if she could help you, she'd be happy to do it. Uh, and, you know, Elizabeth Smart, in addition to being a, a world-renowned speaker and activist, is also a mother of three little kids, and she's got quite a life going on. Right. And um, she called me a few days later, out of the blue, and we talked, and we met, and, you know, 
it goes back to what I was saying before, you know, being able to observe somebody like that who, who you know, is willing to put themselves out there for a complete and total stranger, who, you know, who, who has similar circumstances in life. That was inspiring, you know, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of advocate that, you know, that I want to be for other people. And, and I really believe that you, know, you pay it forward. And, and that is the way that society deals with issues like that is, you know, by one selfless act leading to another, leading to another. That is how the world heals. It goes beyond religions and communities and, and dividing lines. It's people helping people, right? And 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 the uh, terrible irony is that Utah is known as a place of therapy and healing. And I know from New York, many kids have gone to Utah. And your father is very involved, right, with with the recovery community in Utah. My father's on the road three, four days a week. You know. Uh, Dealing with hundreds of kids on a regular basis. Why is that? Why Utah? What's the so Utah? It's actually a, it's a it's a legal loophole that allows these schools to function there. That allows parents to send their kids there uh, um, involuntarily. Um, you, the legislator put a loophole into right. our into our system, which has allowed these schools to thrive right. and prosper. Um, and they do remarkable remarkable work. Um, and you know, yeah, Utah is a place where 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 therapy thrives and where a lot of people come for you know a new a new chance at life. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, and, and yet people who are, you know, who you wouldn't suspect need that same healing and, you know, and, and are often the ones providing the healing, right. uh, you know, are the ones who, who need it too. And right. it's, you know, it's again, it's a good, it's a good right. lesson into, into humanity. But something that you said in, in a, in another podcast that I listened to, uh, which gave me a, a lot of, a lot of joy and, and, um, and, and it was very telling. You said don't think I had a bad childhood. You said, you know, a lot of I had a wonderful childhood. With this, notwithstanding, you know, uh, the obvious, but um, I, I, and that you're not defined by by your your suffering, and and that you you're that was something very inspiring, actually. That so you said. <laughs> that podcast I recorded a couple of days. Actually, I was here in New York for that. I recorded that podcast a couple of days after I had done a different interview, and so the interviewer sits down across from me and says, "Tell me about your childhood," and I was like, "Sure," and I, and I start listening to all of these. Wonderful right. memories, and I remember, you know, her and someone else in the room. Both are like looking at me, like, "I'm sorry, do, wh- why are you here?" Like, right. you know, we wanted you to go straight to the sad and the mournful, and right. I was like, uh, "Well, I, you know, there, there was a lot of adversity that I went through as a kid. I had a, I had a great childhood, you know. I, I look back very fondly at my childhood, and growing up as a, as a son of a shliach in Salt Lake City was was a wild. That's why right. I didn't that, want to begin the podcast there. I don't right. want to end the podcast and, there. And, and, and it's one that I would never, I would right. never trade in, right. you know. And and I was a happy kid. Right. I was a happy kid. I mean, looking back, I was I was a happy, tormented kid. And, right. and, and sure, you know, making an effort to be a happy kid added to that torment, right. no question. Right. Right. But I was a happy kid. I was right. a happy kid. Right. Uh, and I was a happy teen. And right. I, you know, and I loved my time in yeshiva with all of the confusion that that, you know, brought with it. Right. And, uh, and, and to me, that's, that's, you know, that's a choice you make, you know. Right. Uh, if I were to say to anybody, you know, oh my goodness, my childhood just, I wish I could just cut it out and throw it away, you know. Right. I don't think anybody would fault me for that, but that's a choice that I make. You know, I choose not to live with that resentment and that anger. And, 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 and you know, I think that's, that it's anybody's decision, you know. You can choose to be defined by your circumstances. You can choose not to. It's ultimately, it's up to nobody but you. Right. Well, so I am proud to be your friend, Thank your you, colleague, your chava. I, 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 I can only imagine how proud your your community must be and how lucky they must be to have you. I know that you're here for one day, so I don't want to take up. Uh, no, it's I don't want to take up uh, too much too much time. 
but uh, you just celebrated uh, the, the the holiday period, so you must be uh, totally uh, totally wiped out. You told me you felt like you were making Havdalah every every other day. Which and statistically you kind of are, but uh, yeah, 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 kind of are. I, I, I totally, I, I totally hear that, and and I just, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I, you gave me a lot of strength, and and it was very inspiring to have that bravery. I know what it's like to be on, to have to be on, and it, it's and the fact that you were able to show show vulnerability and and humanity. And I think really you're going to be saving saving lives and giving a voice to the voiceless. And I think you're going to help other survivors who perhaps don't uh, are not uh, a natural face of, of of sexual abuse. But it it doesn't discriminate, and it is it is unfortunately something that affects everyone in all facets in all walks of life. So again, I want to thank you. Thank you, Zimbra. You are really really inspiring. And you continue to inspire, and, and, and I wish you only love, strength, support. You are a, a dear friend of the Hipsid podcast. Oh, wow. I'll take that. Feel with. free. Can I use that in restaurants? Like, is there, a, is there a discount or something? Yeah, but only Trafe restaurants. And but, Wegmans. Uh, and Wegmans. <laughs> uh, and uh, and f- you are a friend, friend of the podcast. Very inspiring. Uh, and and uh, I look forward to listening to your podcast because you have you have a lot a lot of substance, a lot to give, and uh, and I think uh, the world needs more people like you. And the world is an infinitely brighter place having you in it. Thank you. Very much. I want to throw out one you know curveball question Uh-oh. here. Go for it. Have you ever seen or heard of the movie Salt Lake City Punk? No. Look no, it up. I, wow, this is homework for me. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a whole flight home to take, yeah. take a look at this. <laughs> well, how long is the flight, by the way? Uh, four and a half here, five and a half back. So All right, not, not bad. bad. Not too bad. Okay, by the way, I've always wanted to go to Salt Lake City. It's so. a really bad movie. I want to extend an open invite to the whole Hipsid team oh. to come and do a, 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 <laughs> We're a, take the RV a recording. We're going to take, take the show on the road. I want to start an internet radio station in okay. Salt Lake City. Okay, yeah. come, come do a recording on location and right. uh, come check us out. No, I want to expand. Brooklyn you know? and Salt Lake City. Those I are two pretty parallel markets. I was thinking LA, markets. but now that you're telling me tech boom. Hey. You know, how long is the drive to Salt Lake cheaper City? Cheaper real From estate. Yeah. So I actually had a friend whose you father. Ever driven I've never driven it. A friend of mine his, needed his car from here. So his dad just did it in three days. So I think right. thir- 13 okay. hour days. Fire so. up the RV, Sherry. There we go. Yeah, we're taking a road trip. Done. Stock up in Wegmans. We are we're taking going. a road trip <laughs> for this thing. We're, we're, go- we're going all the way. Okay, so thank you guys. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on, yeah, on the thank podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, again, we are we are really really in awe of you and and you really are in the words of Elizabeth Smart you are a superhero Thanks, although yeah. I would add you're also a superhero you <laughs> see what I did he always I'm, goes I'm there. gonna I'm gonna I use that hashtag yeah I like the that hashtag superhero thank you guys okay so uh, there we have it after uh, a month hiatus the yep. Hipsid podcast is back didn't even talk about the Joker stairs next episode well, next episode we're gonna talk about the Joker stairs. And uh, this is me, Rabbi Simcha, saying good night, even though it's the afternoon. <laughs> good night. Hipsid the podcast is recorded and produced by Rabbi Simcha and Sherry Barkley. Please like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye. Shalom.